The following Art Trap production is brought to you by the Gallifrey Embassy and has been made possible by donations from listeners like you. Live from the new gift shop in New New York Hospital, it's Doctor Who, Podshock. Ladies and gentlemen and small furry creatures from Alpha Centauri, we are gathered here today to marry various segments of Doctor Who Parchock into one episode. So in this episode, we'll be putting together something old, something new, something borrowed, and something blue. Yes, ambassadors, this is an episode worthy of celebration. So we're going to start things off by going back in time to April when we appeared live as opposed to appearing dead, <laughs> which is not a foregone conclusion that we won't. So, uh, but we were appearing live in, in SUNY Stony Brook, New York for the Icon Convention. It was Icon 27th, um, as the name applies. It was the 27th Icon Convention. It's an annual event. And um, I think I started going there with um, at Icon 3. So this is 27, yeah. Well, <laughs> I won't ponder the years, but uh, joining um, us at this live show, we had a live audience, which is helpful. And um, But with us, um, with me, was our co-host, Ken Deep and James Norton. They were both, um, well, James Norton was there via satellite or via internet, if you will. And um, so he was uh, live, but not live in the flesh, though I'm sure... He had his flesh on, and uh, but live there on stage was myself with Ken Deep, and we're going to go to that right now. So that's something old. It's old, yes, <laughs> but it's nonetheless still um, an enjoyable listen. It, this goes back to uh, the beginning of Series 4, the 2008 series. This is, um, I believe the first episode had just, um, just was transmitted the night before, if I remember correctly, so... At the time, not many people had seen the episode, so we couldn't really do a full-fledged uh, review of the episode. Uh, we did, uh, afterwards, we did a live show on TalkShoe, which is on our live feed, and uh, where we review every episode of the 2008 series, um, Series 4. You, If you haven't heard those, because there was some um, discussion on our forums about live shows and studio shows, and so it was sort of decided that we were going to just keep the live shows on the live feed so that... Um, when I say live, I'm talking about live over the internet shows. So they're available on our live feed if you want to give a listen to. They're, right now, they're completely um, raw and unedited, so um, they're not really polished, but there's, it's, it's something. Another reason why this episode is cause for celebration is because with this episode, Dr. Hupachak welcomes a new sponsor, the New England Fan Experience. New England's ultimate fan experience taking place on November 21st, 22nd, 23rd of 2008 at the Hyatt Regency in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Current science fiction guests include Robert Picardo of Star Trek Voyager and Stargate Atlantis, George Takei of Star Trek, of course, Sulu, Lee Thompson from Back to the Future, Marina Bakarin of Stargate SG-1 and Firefly, and Mark Goodard from Lost in Space. 
Major West from Lost in Space. It's a very exciting show. Uh, both Ken and I were there last year. We had a great time. We're going to be talking more about this show as as the time comes closer. Though, don't hesitate. November twenty first, twenty third, and twenty. And uh, I'm sorry, November twenty first, twenty second, and the twenty third is uh, quickly approaching. Go to www.nefe.us for details and information about the New England Fan Experience. It's a show you won't want to miss. We would like to thank New England Fan Experience for their support. You know, these people have been doing this show uh, for, I believe, 17 years, and they really have it down-packed. It's a great show. It's a friendly show, and uh, it's, a, it's a show by fans for fans. It's a show that you won't want to miss, and we'll continue to keep you posted on future announcements. But with that, let's get back to um, Icon, a live show in front of a live audience. And this, again, takes place in April. And um, so I guess without any further ado, we're going to join the live show. Um, I'm, I'm going to say join in progress, but it's, it's not really in progress. It's at the beginning. You really didn't miss anything. It's just um, the it, you, you ever watch a television show and it seems like a very long time, like a, like a teaser period before, when you're in the very beginning before the, they start rolling the, the, the credits, you know, the beginning opening titles rather. <laughs> and you're like, wow, I was watching now for like a good, you know, um, eight minutes and they're just rolling. The, it's sort of like that. So um, there's a little delay before the Doctor Who Pachak theme music, but it's in there. <laughs> anyway, so uh, enough with me jabbering here. We're going to go right into that now. Excellent. The main thing that we were going to talk about today was uh, Partners in Crime, which aired mm -hmm. yesterday, and I'm assuming you got a chance to see it. Yep, I was there actually watching it live. Uh, one of the, the nice things about uh, living in the UK and having the BBC is that, you know, you don't have to acquire these things by other means, but uh, yeah, it, I, I really enjoyed it. Fun little episode, nice little introduction to the... Uh, to the fourth series, of course. Um, parts of it were kind of hokey and dodgy, but really fun and and just a great kind of introduction to, to bring Catherine Tate back onto the show, Donna Noble. Yeah, I, I have not, and everything I have to say about it is uh, overly positive. It, it wasn't a fantastic episode. Um, I've seen on the forum some people have been likening it more to kind of like the invasion of the Bane sort of a thing, or more like a, a Sarah Jane Smith story, but nevertheless, um, I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. The first question uh, that I, I, I was thinking about uh, that I wanted to know from you, what's the take on this earlier time slot? Did you find it um, a pain, or was it something that was, uh, was very workable? Well, the thing is, is that I'm a Doctor Who fan, and, oh, well, obviously, come on, um, but... Uh, I know when it's going to be on because I check because I'm I care about these sorts of things. But in my experience, is that they've they've always messed with the showtime. I don't know what it is with the BBC and and why they like to to mess with with this. They seem to want to experiment. I don't know what it's to do with whether it's to do with the ratings or or uh, purely just because they have their busy bodies and don't have much to do else apart from mess with the schedules. But. Um, 
I think to the, to the general public, um, you know, who because here in the UK, Doctor Who is considered to be a mainstream show. Perhaps in the States it's kind of more um, underground and, and, and has sort of a cult status. But here in the UK, um, it, it, it is uh, considered to be a drama and not a science fiction show, and it, it has huge ratings here. So when they mess around with the times, the fans get annoyed because the ratings are never as high. And even um, Russell T. Davies, the executive producer, has, has said that he's really annoyed that they never really stick to the 7 o'clock time slots, traditionally what it should be. Um, and, and I think people are annoyed about that, and I, I, I really don't understand what, what the BBC, certainly everybody that I've spoken to, Doctor Who fan or, or just casual sort of watches of Doctor Who, have been really annoyed with this. And I, I, I mean, I guess it doesn't really make um, much of an odds to, to guys who are like yourselves who are acquiring it to, by other means, but nevertheless, it's just really annoying, I think, and really silly. For the future success of the show, I think that uh, a stable time slot, of course, people get into a rhythm, they get into a routine, they, they set their week around it, that they're going to be in a certain place at a certain time. I mean, this is it's the 21st century, we have our TiVos now, and, and a million ways of, of, of seeing or acquiring the episode, but there is some, there's still a traditional audience and the family audience that Doctor Who's geared towards that... Um, you know, you, you, you expect it at a certain time on a certain day. So I was just wondering what, you know, what your take was on, on that time yeah. slot. But, I mean, I, I don't mind if they want to keep it at 6.20 or 6.30 or 7 o'clock or whatever the time might be. I don't care. And I think people don't care either. What people want is, the, in Britain, I think what people want is a consistent time slot. So don't have it this week at 6.20 and next week at 6.45 and the next week at 7.30. You know, stick to just choose a time and stick to it. It's not, it doesn't, it's not that hard. You know, you expect the news to be on at 9 o'clock or whatever it is. Why shouldn't you expect Doctor Who to be on at 6 or 7 or just stick? to a time and you know that's I think all that people really care about because next week it's on a quarter to seven and it just doesn't make any sense you know I'd be really annoyed if I, if I turned in tuned into the show and it, I'm already halfway through or something it's just like what nah. so that, I think that's why people are annoyed because you know every single week you really do have to check to, to make sure that you'll actually be sat down in front of the telly when it's on so well, what's weird about it is that there's um, uh, the initial overnight ratings were still pretty strong. I think it was 8.4 was the early uh, numbers coming back. 8.4 million viewers, uh, and that's in the UK. Um, and and uh, I wish there was a, a way of judging how many other people around the world watched it last night yeah. or, or today. Um, but uh, so, uh, you know, your, your take on it, of course, is what I, what I kind of figured, which was I'm the same way. I like it, I like it stable, uh, a stable time slot. But I was glad to see that you know you, you went out of your way to to, to catch it and um, you know it was a, it was a much anticipated episode because the show came back and um, now I think they delayed Torchwood's finale. Right? Well, before yeah, yeah, James. Before we go any further, um, since we speaking of time and we're we got off on our delayed start here and we started recording as soon as you got on, James. So whatever you know that little segment that we just had <laughs> will be in the show. But just let's. Um, <laughs> Officially, formally open the show, and we're going to do that right now, and then we'll get right back into the conversation. Does that mean sexy music? <laughs> Doctor Who Podshop. Okay, well, let's do it now. I 
you know, whatever it is, if it's valuable, send it to us. <laughs> For the best in all things Doctor Who, it's Doctor Who Podshock, the podcast all about Doctor Who, the longest-running science fiction television program with Louis Trapani. Hello. Ken Deep. Hello. James Norton. Hello. News. Fabulous. Reviews. Oh, no. And fan mail for James. Uh, over 40,000. Doctor Who Podshock from the Gallifrey Embassy and Outpost Gallifrey. You know, that guy James was really cool. Oh, yeah. What blew that? <laughs> I'm the Doctor, and who are you? So, um, welcome everyone here to our live show once again. I think this is our third year here doing a live show at ICON. This uh, is ICON 27. ICON 27. Thank you, ICON, for having us on board once again. We're very grateful for that. Um, with me right here is uh, Ken Deep. He's um, we're, um, part of the show from the beginning, co-host, producer, and um, all-around swell guy. Also, just as swell, is James Norton, who is uh, live with us via satellite or internet, if you will, um, <laughs> in the UK. Hello, James. Hi. Well, uh, I and did... I'm Louis Tarani, as you... That's Louis Trapani. <laughs> yeah, okay. The man so, behind all the scenes, and, and I have to say, because uh, I, I do this as often as I can, I have to say thanks to Louis. Uh, it's his hard work behind the Gallifrey Embassy website, Podshock, all the feeds, all the technical things, all the editing behind the scenes. It's many, many hours of his hard work that gives us an enhanced podcast where if we talk about something on the web, there's a little web link and all these kind of things. It's, it's his hard work that really makes Podshock come. Thank you. And I couldn't have done it alone, so... Thank you, Ken and James. I did, I did uh, tell everybody who came in prior to you being here, Lewis, and, and the, the recording starting that um, we were going to discuss Partners in Crime, Series 4, Episode 1 today, and there were spoiler warnings. So everybody's, everybody seems to have been signed so on. on how this. many people here have seen the Episode 1 of Series 4, Partners in Crime? All right, so only a, a small percentage. But they're willing to be spoiled. <laughs> and, all right, all right, before I go any further, how many here have seen the pilot episode for the Sarah Jane Adventures, Invasion of the Bane? All right, more people. Okay, so you know what? You guys have already seen Partners in Crime. <laughs> it's a very similar tone, very similar note. Well, uh, one of the things that, um, that I was mentioning, uh, uh, very briefly, because I wanted this to be re recorded, was... I mentioned the fact that Sci-Fi Channel is going to air this in only a couple of weeks, and that is a direct result of American fans and Canadian fans and, and fans around the world who aren't in the UK downloading. That's a positive result of the downloading because it forced their hand into having to um, get these episodes out to us quicker so they can capitalize on the advertising revenue. Uh, this was this was just a, a, a direct result, and we're now going to reap the rewards of actually seeing this episode in a couple of weeks. That being said, Partners in Crime, uh, I, I mentioned to um, to Lewis mentioned that if you've seen Invasion of the Bane, you, you chances are you have a, a feel or a vibe of, of what Partners in Crime uh, was like. I was saying that it's very much a re envisioning of the Donna character, the Runaway Bride. In the Runaway Bride, you could say that her her craziness uh, was because she was a bride on her wedding day, going through all the, all that zaniness. And people may have assumed that her character was going to be like that, coming aboard the TARDIS. And they sort of toned her down a bit, gave her a chance to get her feet on the ground and become a little more grounded as a character. Well, we saw at the end of Runaway Bride, her character seemed to get more stabilized and wasn't, you know, as, you know, shouty 
as uh, she was in the beginning. But, um, you know, I think a lot of the critics that she has, um, you know, so far, at least the feedback that we've gotten on our website and email and what have you, is that um, they're, they're coming to accept her. They accepted this first episode, and I think they welcomed her in this episode. So, uh, obviously, mm. it's only the first episode, so we'll see how, how it goes. James, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to, to echo that exactly. I mean, um, certainly there was, there was almost sort of like a mini outcry in the UK um, regarding this because everybody knows Catherine Tate is kind of a comedian, um, not really suited to uh, the actress-type role, but people have to remember that she was an actress before she was a comedian. And um, I've been... I think it's a great move. I, I think she's going to be fantastic because we'll, we'll really see some character development. And we've kind of seen that a little bit in the first episode. And I think she's going to change across the, the series. And um, I'm excited about that, 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 that finally we're going to have um, a situation where perhaps there's not so much hanky-panky going on in the TARDIS um, as there seems to have been in previous years. Uh, one of the things I really enjoy about Donna is that she's the one companion so far who doesn't seem to have a crush on David Tennant. Um, she, I mean, maybe she does and she just doesn't let on about it. Um, but it, it, that was nice to see that her first move wasn't rushing into the TARDIS to date this guy. Yeah, well, yeah it because... It was nice to see the Doctor kind of repelling that as well. I mean, for those that had seen it, there's a, there's a scene at the end of the episode where he didn't want to... He didn't want Donna to come on board if it was going to be another Martha Jones situation where it's going to be, you know, this unrequited... Um, Affection that Martha had to the doctor, and he didn't want to put someone through that again. So he was a little mm. apprehensive at first. Mm. Uh, I was mentioning that there was uh, a nice reference to the Shadow Proclamation, and I was trying to remember James, and, and maybe you guys will refresh my memory as I was. You know, I've been at the convention whole weekend, and uh, and haven't had yet enough coffee. And uh, there was another, uh, either a mention or, or something that was a, a nod in the episode about midway through. Um, can you help me um, refresh my memory a little? Are you, are you following what? A reference to something, a, a continuity thing? Or? Yeah, I think so. And I'm, and I'm there, there, were lots, there were lots and lots of references. Um, uh, is, is, are you thinking more back to the Ninth Doctor or the Tenth Doctor or... No, I, I just think it was a, a um, just a, a couple of like a like a throwaway line or something, and, and it, there was some uh, uh, some again some some nice nods to some other things that were going on, and there is we haven't talked, no one said anything yet, but there is a surprise ending, and the episode yes. proceeds to be this episode, and it resolves itself the way an episode would, and you have your bad guy, and you have the doctor battling your bad guys. And then there's a moment at the very end of the episode, in the final minute, um, that is, um, we'll take your breath away, it's a, it's a jaw-dropping moment. And it's, but it's a, I believe it's a teaser type of thing where, you know, where if you're familiar with uh, the bad, bad Wolf references in the first series, or then, um, and then the second, it was littered with tortured all over the place. So I think we are not, this little surprise, which we're not going to give away, I think we're going to see again throughout other episodes and then it's going to come to a climax or come to a head at some point yeah it's, it's something that we're going to we'll get some inclinations of and, and perhaps we'll build to something I, it obviously has to build to something because why put it in the episode mm. it's there I heard it was 
film, it was shot in a way so that it could actually have been removed from the episode if it was felt so inclined to. In other words, um, it could have been placed in another episode if needed be or whatever. That's what I heard. For those who were here uh, and who may have seen this or seen um, what I'm going to refer to, this, will, this may or may not give it away. For those of you who may have seen some cell phone pictures taken on set that, uh, that seemed to surface about a month or two ago, that's what we're referring to in this. There was a, a few, few people who snapped a few last-minute cell phone pictures, and, uh, and, and that's, this is the thing. And, I, and that's the only spoiler that I just – it's a nice highlight in the, in the story, and so it's something to look forward to in two weeks. Uh, mm -hmm. But it does set in motion some things, probably for, for further in the season. James, what did you take on next week's uh, episode with the, the fires of Pompeii? Um, it, this seems to me to be kind of like the, the historical episode. Um, they, they always seem to have these ones just randomly thrown in there where they, they go back to a, a major pivotal point in, in time. Um, yeah, usually, usually early on in, in the series. Um, this time... There's a two-parter with an old enemy coming up, then. Uh, you know, that's going to be around the corner. Yes, that's always the case. There, there does seem to be patterns, it has to be said. But um, certainly, I don't know, it seems kind of um, a little bit cryptic, this one. Um, I was kind of reminded of um, the, the Tenth... Uh, the Tenth Doctor. Uh, Tom Baker's story, um, the image of the Fendal and some of the imagery and things... Um, and also, um, oh, what's the, uh, the name of that story? I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. Um, it, 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 the, the kind of mystic element side to things where, um, it's clearly there's something going on in, in the background that, that, that is overtly unusual. And it seemed, I think that's really interesting that they've gone back to Pompeii where obviously Vesuvius is going to explode and there's just going to be chaos and terror everywhere. But yet maybe um, people will be affected and maybe turned to stone before the volcano actually goes off. And I think that's an interesting idea and um, a, a great way to kind of cement Catherine Tate into the role because um, all we've seen so far of her in not to give too much away from partners in crime, is really to, to sort of introduce her. She's, she's looking around for any signs of alien activity or anything unusual where the doctor might also be there because obviously she's looking for him. She's realized that she's really um, passed uh, an opportunity that she shouldn't have done. Um, she, she really wanted to go back to the, uh, with, travel with the doctor in hindsight, um, whereas this will really kind of cement her. And... Similar to with Rose, I guess, that was with the whole uh, Unquiet Dead. I think it will be a similar kind of feel to the episode, really. Um, and it's everything that we've seen so far has been kind of cryptic and mystic about the episode. Nothing really has, has said what the story is going to be about, which is kind of, kind of fun and, and, yeah. and whets your appetite for it, so to speak. Well, I think one of the going back on on partners in crime, one of the one of the positives about the episode, uh, I thought the action was a lot of fun. I thought that was you know very well very well realized. The the action sequences were very exciting, and I thought that the the bad guy wasn't your typical I'm evil, let me blow things up or let me kill people kind of bad guy. It was I should mm. even say guy bad. Bad girl. So the, 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 if you see the Dr. Confidential that followed this episode, the actress herself is saying that she didn't consider herself evil. She just, you know, she had a mission and she wanted to accomplish that mission. 
And um, so, yes, yeah, students see himself as evil. Yeah, yeah. and I, I kind of like that because it, 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 you, I like a curveball. I don't think I don't think every single episode has to be the universe is, is in jeopardy, the time-space continuum is in jeopardy, you know, or someone is just evil. I, I think there are people who have their motivations, and the doctor using his morality is is trying to 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 change something to make them realize the error of their ways. So uh, this was one of those episodes where um, you could sit back and say, okay, well, it's the ca- character was operating from a, a particular point of view, and the doctor felt that that point of view was uh, was wrong by his mm. moral code. So. Mm. But what I thought was great about um, her character, um, played by Sarah Lancashire, was she really did kind of have this um, classical sort of nanny feel to her. You really did believe that she was very stern, very strict, but very calm as well. Um, it reminded me of kind of, um, I don't know if you had in the US, there was a, a reality TV show called Super Nanny, uh, or maybe even um, Nanny 911 or something like that. Yeah. Very, you know, they, you could see that they'd kind of clearly drawn the parallel to that to make her seem very much like she, she was this kind of intergalactic uh, nanny and, and caring and, and wanting to foster these children. And I really like that. that was, that's a completely different kind of edge to the classical villain. Um, you know, she's, she's not a complete monster with eight legs or whatever and forehead. She's more um, cerebral than that. And, and, and the Doctor tries to save her, um, but doesn't succeed, sadly. Well, do we give a... Go ahead, Lewis. I'm sorry. No, you want to do... Uh, well, I, w- I was just going to solicit the crowd here. Anyone has any uh, comments they want to say about Patton's... Uh, not Pat, um, partners. Partners. <laughs> partners. Or any, or any particular... Any direct questions about it. I'm just checking our time, Lewis, being in Yeah, it's um, 11.53. Ah, thank you, sir. All right, well, um, do you want to give our... Tardis Groans rating on yeah. a ra- scale of one to five, five being the best, one being the worst. Well, it's not the twin dilemma. Um, <laughs> I would, you know, I know that, that there were people who had some mixed feelings about this. Uh, again, I think it reestablishes the show as a family show, uh, mostly because I, I, I don't feel strongly about Torchwood. I think that Torchwood is, is maybe uh, is too adult. I think this reestablishes Doctor Who as being, especially in the 620 time slot that you saw it in, James, this reestablishes the doc, that Doctor Who is a family show, uh, and that's the way it's supposed to be handled. It's supposed to be handled where um, whether your six-year-old is going to watch the show or whether you're a grandparent, you can sit down and watch television, <laughs> laugh at a few moments, see some cool things, action, suspense, humor, um, and... Uh, is it a perfect Doctor Who story? Is it one of those things that you know we'll be talking about for the rest of our lives? Remember that one? Uh, no, probably not. It ha- does it have rewatch value? Absolutely. I thought it was fun. Uh, I thought Catherine Tate was was awesome in the in the episode. Um, I enjoyed the the bad guy not being evil, and all those things being said. I'm going to give it four out of five wow. Tardis Grons, which I know seems a bit high. I just I did enjoy it. I thought it was fun. So. Okay. All right, so um, as far as I go, I believe it went too much to the family side of things, and I think it was a better story for the Sarah Jane Adventures series. In fact, we did see it in the Sarah Jane Adventures series. I think it was uh, too similar to Invasion of the Bane. And uh, um, so I really thought it could have been a little bit, they could have raised the bar a little bit more. For, this is a season uh, series opener for the fourth series, and uh, I, 
expect, you know, maybe I had higher expectations for it. And, um, and coming off the season finale of Torchwood, which I have to disagree with Ken, I, I think Torchwood really set the bar on a, on a different level this series. And, um, and I really did enjoy the series finale, the last few, the whole series of Torchwood this year. Series I, I thought, two. Yeah, I, I thought it was very good. So um, I'm only giving this two TARDIS groans. And um, I was, the, the ending was, a, you know, brought it, brought it back, back up a little bit. But overall, I just was a little disappointing. James? Well, I really, really enjoyed this episode. Um, I thought it was really funny in parts. Um, generally, a really light-hearted episode. I think we'll get more into kind of the, the, the hardcore Doctor Who episodes later on in, in the series, and there's certainly um, a lot there that I'm, that I'm looking forward to, just looking at even the episode titles. Um, there's one even called um, The Doctor's Daughter, which is a bit bizarre, but... Um, that kind of whets your appetite for the rest of the series. Um, and it's just great to have Doctor Who back, really. I mean, I agree with Lewis. I, I really have enjoyed this past series of Torchwood. It's certainly got an, a lot better. There's less plot holes. Um, the adultness of the show has been toned down. Um, but what I hope we don't see with Doctor Who, that we have seen with Torchwood, is that um, Torchwood really has been kind of rammed down people's throats. Um, it's been on everywhere. It's been on um, BBC Two, BBC Three, repeats all over the place. It's been on the web. You haven't been able to escape it, really. And I hope that they don't do that with Doctor Who, because there can be too much of a good thing. Um, but in terms of partners in crime, I'm going to kind of give it three and a half groans out of five, um, purely because it's the, the season opener, again, I agree with Ken, it's not going to be really a memorable episode, we're not going to look back at it and think it's one of the best episodes of Doctor Who ever, but it is kind of a milestone because it's the start of the Thor series and it reintroduces a character and even just for that um, aspect of, of the episode, they've done a great job bringing Donna Noble back into the show. And um, I love the scenes with the granddad. I love the whole kind of miming scene, which was hilarious, where the Doctor and um, Donna first meet after kind of passing each other elaborately throughout the rest of the, the episode, really. And, uh, yeah, I don't know what else to say. I just thought it was a lot of fun. And One of the things I, I wanted to mention that gave, gave it such a high rating for me, too, I really felt that special effects-wise, the the realization of this of the the spaceship in it and the sound effects and some of the things they, they used in it was was superb. It was a nod to Close Encounters. You can clearly see that there was a a, a, a direct nod to, to Close Encounters of the Third Kind. But the the sound effects and some of the things they did with it, I just I thought I was very impressed with that. And I, I liked it a little more than than a few of the the other spaceships flying around kind of uh, episodes that we've had in the past. So. Well, I, as I kind of said um, on our forums, is that this week, well, in the space of two days, I saw the series, um, the season opener of Battlestar Galactica, the series uh, two uh, finale of Torchwood, and then, you know, Doctor Who came in, you know, following it all, and I, maybe I was tainted, and, you know, maybe I was extra, had high expectations after those two episodes kind of really set the bar higher and you know this would have been a good episode maybe in the middle of the series it's sort of like trouble with the tribbles it's a great episode but would you have that as your first star trek episode i don't think so you you know it's a light-hearted fun episode it's many people's favorite episode but i wouldn't lead off the series with it and um you know i, I think this 
deserved a better story. And I think I agree both with James and Ken that uh, the reintroduction of Donna Noble's character was great. Some of the moments there at the miming and uh, the ending uh, segment of this episode, which without giving anything away, I think was really nice and um, enjoyable. But just the story itself, the meat and potatoes of, this, of the story, I felt was lacking because we, I've seen it before and it comes down to that. So. Anyone have any last comments? We're going to wrap up the show in, in, in about a minute. Yeah, we, we apologize, by the way, for the time slot. In, in the past here at ICON, we've been given a little bit longer time, and um, programming this weekend was, was kind of tight. Um, next year, as we had mentioned, um, ICON is continuing. For ICON 28 it will not be at SUNY Stony Brook, but will be uh, spread out over Suffolk Community College, uh, the Hyatt in Hopog, and the Holiday Inn in Ronkonkoma. So, um, although it, it sounds like it's spread out, but it's probably still easier than walking across this quad in the wind. Um, but it, it will continue next year, and we're hoping to be back, and then we will, uh, next year, uh, make sure that we have a longer time slot. And, with everybody's help, maybe we'll have a Doctor Who guest sitting in with us. That would be great. Yeah, please let everyone, uh, let Icon know that you want a Doctor Who guest. <laughs> All right, James. Thanks so much for for joining us and, and taking a little time this this, this morning. I know it, we, you know it's a short episode, and and we have much to do. Uh, and a preview is that we have a John Levine episode uh, on deck for those who are here live. And anybody who's listening to this now on the on the feed uh, is probably saying, "Yeah, that came out last week." I don't know what you guys are talking about. So, <laughs> um, and a few people were mentioning that just a reminder that there are now split feeds. We have a live Pod Shocks. There'll be more information on our website, uh, podshop.net or gallifreyandembassy.org. So thank you, everyone. Thank you very much. Thanks very much. This is Paul Cornell, and you're listening to Podshock, presented by Outpost Gallifrey. This is Mr. Moyle. And this is Q-Dog. And we're from... Cool Shite on the Tube. What is Cool Shite, Mr. Q-Dog? Cool Shot is uh, movie reviews, it's talking about TV, it's talking about pop culture, it's talking about a lot of shot. A lot of shot? A lot of shot. And this is what some of our listeners have had to say about us. I love Cool Shot on the Tube. It's possibly one of the best podcasts I've ever listened to. Thank you, Governor Arnie. You're welcome. Now what about you, Mr. Billy Conley? Brilliant! I've never heard anything like it in my life. If you like listening to people talk about movies, people having a good time, people hacking on each other, you should come to Cool Shite on the Tube, listen to us, and have a good time. We're available at www.coolshite.net. As far as I'm concerned, I'd never listen to any other podcast. I mean, who would? Ah, good stuff, good stuff. And um, I want to thank Icon for having us as guests, uh, invited guests at the convention. 
It's, um, as I said, it's uh, three years that we've been doing this, and um, each time they keep inviting us back, and uh, we have a, a, a reasonable-sized crowd there. We're, I have to explain a lot of the noise that you hear that you were hearing in that segment was the door. That every time, it's a, it's a lecture hall that we, that we actually do the podcast in, and it's a, it's a nice-sized hall, but there, um, there are these doors, they're like castle doors, and and when you hear all that noise, is people entering the room, and as people enter the room, the door closes behind them, and it makes this echoing, loud, thunderous noise. So uh, I do apologize for that, and that's just um, inherent part of the recording there. So um, anyway, they're moving locations, so don't know where um, we'll be um, for the next icon as far as the actual venue in at the convention itself. Um, for the past 27 years, um, it's been at SUNY Stony Brook, which is a um, university, college university. So they had uh, these, you know, at their disposal, they had, you know, um, lecture halls, which are used um, by the university for teaching. We were able to use those facilities. Anyway, that was something old. Now we'll go to something new. Recently, we had the pleasure of interviewing John S. Drew. Uh, he's um, responsible for Short Trips, The Quality of Leadership. It's in bookstores now, I believe. Uh, if not, you can. Um, he explains how you can purchase a copy. John's a real nice guy. We had a great time interviewing him and talking, and um, I'm sure we'll probably have him back on the show again. This is our interview with John S. Drew. Okay, we're back with Doctor Who Pachak, and joining us here uh, with us is John S. Drew, who is the author of Short Trips. Uh, it's, it's Doctor Who Short Trips: The Quality of Leadership, which is a collection of short stories, uh, obviously based on Doctor Who. And uh, John is joining us, and uh, with uh, with me is um, obviously uh, co-hosts uh, Ken Deep and James Norton. Hey. <laughs> yeah, short short trips is um, a series of anthologies that that Big Finish, uh, Big Finish Books has been putting out, and and John is one of the authors contributing to some of the anthologies. And correct, uh, you're in the one of the more recent um, tomes, uh, short trips, quality of leadership. You've written uh, from Little Acorns as your contribution, an Eighth Doctor story, which the Eighth Doctor is always close to my heart because I just don't think he gets enough love. So. He doesn't. Bad, Mike. Wow, great. <laughs> yes. Hi, hi, guys. Uh, thank you for having me on. Thank um, you for being here. Sure, sure. Yeah, the uh, Eighth Doctor definitely does not – I mean I think he's getting more love now thanks in part to the big Finnish productions and the audio dramas and such. But um, it made sense especially with this collection of stories and the way we were doing a framing story that it ha my story had to be – since I was doing the framing story, it had to be an Eighth Doctor story. Mm -hmm. I know what you, we before we went to air, you said something, and I, so I'm going to ask you because we we got the ball rolling and like, damn, why aren't we recording this? <laughs> what is it that makes this particular short trip unique? Well, I wouldn't go so far. I don't know if I would call it unique, but it's definitely different. I don't. I haven't read all the short trips to 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 honestly say that we stand out in this regard. But one of the things I do enjoy about anthologies and and that. 
I love about this one that we put together is the fact that we do have a framing story. We we start out with the Eighth Doctor um, trying to help uh, uh, this young prince who has just discovered that his father has been killed, his kingdom has been overthrown, and he's never had any desire to be a leader. He's He's kind of arrogant, a little brash, and it's all been an act that he's put on to um, – you know, put off, put off being a, a a leader, and now he's thrust into this role, and he has to retake the kingdom. And the doctor helps him to do that. And in the end, he comes out and admits his fears and concerns about being the ruler of of this entire world. And the doctor sits down with him, and that's where he's like, "I will let me tell you, I've I've seen plenty of leaders in my time." And he proceeds to tell him these stories. And at the end of the story. Uh, the end of the anthology, we come back to the world where the king is now dying, or the prince now king. He's been king for many um, decades, and he's now dying, and the doctor comes back to visit him one last time. And we see that the the um, the stories that he told have been told to the king's children and to the king's grandchildren, so that you know the tradition goes on of the storytelling. And the stories so, are, are influential in, in the, the, the prince slash king um, formulating his, his leadership ability? His, his leadership abilities and, and his, his – just his whole understanding that, you know, um, world leadership – Right, his worldview. Because the thing is, is that, you know, many people feel that, you know, it – there is something special about being a leader. But the fact is anybody who really wants to in some ways – can become a leader at some time. Some people think they're the perfect leaders, and it turns out they're not, as we see currently with our governments <laughs> and such. Um, but, um, you know, for instance, uh, uh, Jim Swallow, one of my favorite stories in the entire collection is, is uh, Jim Swallow's story, which right now the title escapes me. But it's a perfect story because it's a Seventh Doctor story in which he walks into basically a 7-Eleven in America. And, you know, to me... Seventh Doctor, always been the dark, the brooding one. You're walking into a 7-Eleven in America in the middle of a robbery. And the manager of the store, you know, his ideas are, you know, I'm the manager. You always have to listen to me. I know, you know, because they've hired me, so they must know. They must see something in me. And he learns what true leadership is by watching the doctor in the situation. And he changes. Um, and, and it's stories like that that I really like. I mean, we certainly have plenty of historical characters uh, in the book itself, um, in fact, Peter David takes on uh, uh, not history but but uh, mythological. He takes on King Arthur by having a sequel to Battlefield, um, and he also has a it's an Eighth Doctor story in, in here as well. Mm -hmm. But I, to me, you know, the, the whole thing with the, with him is with the, uh, the the our prince in this uh, in this anthology is the fact that it's stories like like Jim's that. You know, really triggers something in him, and in fact, at the end, and that's another nice little wrap up, is at the end, um, the grandchildren who've now been told these stories are sitting around and talking about the different stories. We sort of touch base on some of the stories and which ones influence them as well. Now, you wrote the epilogue to the to the book, wrapping Correct. all this up. Um, Correct. How do you do you meet? With any of the other writers, how do you get all on the same page about okay. putting something like this together? Well, something like this was a bit um, – it, it's funny you mention that because we, we've actually got a pitch where we're trying to actually right now into Big Finish for another anthology, which I can't go into. But 
um, if it's uh, accepted, it's going to require a lot tighter uh, control over the stories and such because it's another one of these ones where it's where it's going to have bookends and then stories in between. This one didn't require it so much. I actually wrote the epilogue and then finally wrote a final scene in there at Keith's request for the children to be talking amongst each other and discussing the stories. And that didn't happen until after everybody had submitted their stories. I had ideas of what everybody was doing. Keith had been filling me in along the way. But until I finally got their stories um, submitted to me, handed to me. I didn't. I didn't write that that uh, that little sort of bridging scene, so to speak. How did you get involved in this? Like, what what led you to? Uh, I mean, I'm assuming you are a Doctor Who fan, obviously. Oh. So I'll get into the history of that in a minute. But, sure. Um, but w- where did this begin? Where did you uh, get involved in 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 Big Finish writing, but from well, the book side as opposed to the audio drama? Well, from the book side, what happened was was that um, uh, a few years ago uh, on one of the uh, uh, Doctor Who newsgroups, um, editor Simon Guerrero had put out a notice. I think this was one of his first anthologies. I, I may be wrong about this. And he was basically looking for new writers. And I contacted him. We connected. I made a pitch to him for The History of Christmas, uh, a story called The Revolutionaries, a second Doctor story in which uh, Jamie and the Doctor um, have to try and stop uh, uh, these time-traveling tourists from subverting history – in t- unintentionally it was it was unintentional on their part they're tourists like tourists are getting in the way they're taking pictures they're all and they accidentally caused the capture of george washington at uh, um uh by the hessians just as they're about to make the attack on the hessian uh complex uh around christmas time mm-hmm. so they have to try and get history back on track uh and and you know simon bought the story from there um, I pitched to a few other anthologies and, ha- and didn't have any success. But then what happened was was uh, Keith DeCandido, who's the editor of the book, he and I are longtime friends. Uh, we actually went to high school together. In fact, it was he that introduced me to Doctor Who. Um, he'd been trying to make a connection with Big Finish. They, they'd wanted him to do an anthology for a while because he's had a number of best-selling anthologies, Star Trek, more comics related, um, and they wanted him to do one, but they, they couldn't come up with an idea. And I just said to him, well, how about this about, you know, Doctor Who telling stories – or do- the Doctor, excuse me, far, sorry about that. Um, the Doctor <laughs> telling stories about, you know, leadership. I mean that was just basically the way I just pitched it to Keith and, and Keith was like, put together a proposal. Give me the whole thing. How is this going to happen? And that's when I started thinking, well, you know, what do I like in an anthology? I actually like – an anthology where you've got more of a hook in to read it rather than just saying, oh, it's a book of alternate timeline stories or, oh, it's a book about war, a collection of war. I want something to hook me in there. Why are these stories being collected like this? And, and that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's why I came up with the framing story. I, I prefer those in my anthologies per- myself. And the next, um, hopefully, if we, we can sell this idea to, to Big Finish, it'll follow along the same lines even, even tighter. So there's an umbrella story and all these um, anthology um, short stories um, comprise this umbrella theme. Correct. So Correct. How, how many stories are there? Um, altogether, there are 12 stories. 
Oh, okay. So yeah, uh, this is this is also this is another thing that's also uh, unique about, uh, I, and I think I, I I am fair in saying this one's more unique in this regard is that we actually have less authors, longer stories. The stories range uh, upwards of about ten to twelve thousand words, so they're almost novella length. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Something else too that both Keith and myself enjoy better than than you know uh, a collection of stories where they're only two or three thousand, and and you got to go in and hit fast and tell your story and get out. This gave us a little more time to develop characters, play around with uh, companions, and, and, and in some cases uh, play around with some ideas that had never been done before so far as we can tell. There's one story in there by Terry Osborne with a very surprised twist ending, and I'm trying in all my Doctor Who lore to see if it's ever been done that I can think of and I can't figure it out. And I, you know, seen every episode so far, so... One thing that I'm quite curious about, you've got a fantastic um, crew of, of writers here. I mean, for me, just the, the cast names are clear from a lot of the Star Trek novels. You've got, aside from, obviously, Keith DeCandido, you've also got Peter David and, and Diane Duane. Um, I didn't realise that they were they were Doctor Who fans. I mean, I know that they, they had kind of... Um, other writings going on in terms of comic books and, mm-hmm. and Diane Duane with the Young Wizards and things. Were you kind of, did you and Keith kind of sit down and decide, hey, who can we approach to kind of uh, help us write these uh, these these stories, or or did they come to you once they heard that that you were doing it? No, in this in this case, and actually, I didn't have a lot as far as uh, the. Um, Authors, I, I will be in this in in the new one. If if this one's in the next one, if it sells, I will actually have a hand in picking the authors and such because I will co-edit it. It'll be the first time I've ever done anything like that. This time around, Keith had asked me to co-edit, and I didn't have, I don't know. I guess I didn't have the nerve to do it. I don't know. I thought I'll only bring it down right now. What do I know about editing? But then I realized. What an opportunity I missed in, in, in doing that. I mean, fortunately, Keith did give me creator credit uh, on the uh, inside cover of the book, but it would have been nice to have had my name alongside him there editing it. So he did choose these people. He's known these people and worked with them himself, um, right. Peter and Diane, both on the, on the Marvel Comics lines when he was doing the, the anthology books for uh, Byron Price many years ago. Um, mm. And he's actually known Peter even longer than that because we used to do a public access show and Peter had been a, a guest on our show many, many moons ago. Um, but um, Peter Peter comes from, from you know big Doctor Who background as far as being a fan. Um, I don't know if anybody's familiar with his uh, – what is it? The TARDIS at Pooh Corner I think he wrote was a, a fan story he wrote many years ago. Uh, oh, Diane right. her, Oh, yeah. Diane herself um, has – peppered her Trek stories with Doctor Who references, uh, including... uh, uh, (laughs) I'm sorry? I was just saying that's always good to have kind of uh, inside references to things in other other series and so on. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, this... The, the 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 name list on this particular book leans a little more towards American authors. It certainly does. I'm not going to deny that. Um, but none of them, you know, everybody who who contributed to this is 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 a you know an avowed fan. And and ha- and and everybody who wrote pretty much wrote to their particular doctors. In in like for instance, in Terry Osborne's case, actually she didn't even write to a particular doctor. She wrote towards her particular companion. It's a fourth doctor and Romana story. The first Romana and. And she's a huge Romana fan. knows knows the character inside and out, and and wrote the character very well with a, with you know the voice. And that's the that's the key to these. I mean, you know, you can tell a great story, but if you don't get the voice of the character down, 
um, you're going to lose the audience. And I think yeah. that's that's what I love. That's what I love about Jim Swallows because it's like, wow, Seventh Doctor in America, you know, and, and you know, we're not the happiest country, the United States. Let's put it that way. And here you are in a Seven Eleven in the middle of a, of a of a robbery. You know, which Doctor would you want there to defuse that situation? You know, you want the Seventh Doctor in there, maybe the Ninth. Maybe the ninth, also, if if we could do that, but we can't. <laughs> well, well, John Pertwee could always do his haiku, not his haiku. I'm sorry, whatever that that the the Venusian Aikido. Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. Unfortunately, then then your story sort of cut short if you just guy down. <laughs> yeah. So, how did you become a Doctor Who fan? Can you take us back a little bit? Like, what, sure. I, I'm always curious because, and especially with the, with. When we're when we're dealing with American guests, it's mm-hmm. like, well, where did you start? You know, in Britain, it's a sort of a, a, a rite of passage, but in the United States, it's far more cultish. Right, right. Um, it was actually, I can tell you right now, it was high school, 1986. Um, I was, as I said, Keith and I are, are longtime friends. We went to high school together. In fact, it was, it, you know, we our friendship had struck up because we were both Star Trek fans. Mm-hmm. And we were running the track one day in gym and talking and we're the last ones lagging behind because, you know, because <laughs> you're Star Trek fans, <laughs> we're Star Trek fans and we can't we can't run. Hey, I, so, was, I was there, too. <laughs> <laughs> and and he, we're talking about various things and he just comes up with, you know, and he'd been a fan longer than that. I mean, he'd been watching the show and he never mentioned it to me. And he just suddenly starts talking about this show, Doctor Who, that had now been running. It had been running on Channel 9 in New York. Um, mm-hmm. And I'd never seen it when it was on Channel Nine, uh, which was a local, uh, you know, independent station. Sure. But it was it was starting to run on, uh, which isn't a channel anymore. Channel Thirty One, a PBS station. Mm-hmm. They were stripping Tom Baker Monday through Friday at ten o'clock, and he was like, "Oh, you got to see it. It's back on, and you'd love this show." Now, this is the days before cable. This is the days before you know you, you got rabbit ears for most televisions. You know, if you're not hooked into an antenna, and I'm you know I had a little TV in my bedroom, and that's exactly what I had was rabbit ears. So I'm sitting there moving the rabbit ears back and forth, ten o'clock at night, trying to get in channel thirty one to see the show, Ark in Space episode one. All I caught was the last few minutes, and all I caught was the theme music. I never tuned in a picture. All I heard was the ending with the theme music, the sting and the theme music. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I got to fig- get a way to get this picture on because that theme music is incredible. Wow. It was the best theme music. I, I And that was really what did it. It was mm-hmm. the th- it was the theme song, and then after that, I went down to Radio Shack, bought myself stronger and you know rabbit ears, <laughs> tuned it in. And I was hooked and I watched – I spent that summer getting to know Tom Baker because they ran through the whole thing. And then that September, uh, 31 started on Friday nights running Doctor Who movies with Peter Davison and I started working my way through that. And, and you know, I was hooked automatically. Um, I'm also one of these people who, you know, everybody always says their favorite doctor is the first one they saw. I go against the grain on that one. My first doctor I saw was Tom Baker and while I do – uh, enjoy his performance and all. My favorite doctor will always be Peter Davison. Yeah, I'm the the same way. Actually, I started with Tom Baker, but towards the end of his run, and and uh, and then right into Peter Davison. And Davison is the guy who locked me in. And I think it's the, right. the probably thinking the quality of some of those stories. You know, that the, um, John Nathan Turner moved away from comedy and into a, a little more cerebral science fiction, and those really hooked me i think if they if i would have 
uh, well, seen the show in in some of its more comic forms, I, it may not have grabbed me as quickly. Right. And, and right. I, so and, I, it's and, funny that you say that, you know, because that that resonates. As it's, that's exactly what happened with me. And yet, you know, with with Tom Baker, you know, if if his first couple of years is with Sarah Jane are some mm-hmm. of the best Doctor Who stories ever produced. Absolutely. Some some of the absolute best mm-hmm. that that hold up even to today with, you know, Tennant and, and Eccleston and their stories. His those first few years of his hold up gloriously. Yeah, absolutely. So Where, um, I'm sorry. Sorry. Go ahead, Lewis. You got it. <laughs> I'll hold. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I was well, I was going to comment that that, you know, John had a, a similar, you know, a similar experience as we did. I, I started watching it on W.O.R. Channel 9 here in New York and then um, progressed on to PBS and Channel 31. I remember they were showing it and it was one of those PBS stations that I don't think they did live pledge drives. Otherwise, uh, the Gallifrey Embassy would have been on it. Yeah. No, they, they, they didn't. They didn't do live ones. They only had uh, – I mean they had pledge drives, but it was never anything live. It was always pre-recorded stuff. I, I, I even still have some of my tapes with – I think it's either Sylvester McCoy. I know I have Paul Darrow on a couple where he's done pre-recorded things asking for pledges. This was in the days when you had Blake 7. You had mm-hmm. the tripods I think running on 31. Mm-hmm. You had Dark Shadows running every night. We should at, just explain uh, the 31 was out of New York City. It was a New York City right, correct. PBS station. Correct. You know, those were the days because you had, you had um, especially when you got to the weekends, you had uh, Channel 31 in New York, PBS station running Doctor Who movies. Then Saturday night, Channel 21, a PBS station, was running them episodically, but they would show you the entire story. And then if you waited up a little later, on channel 50 or 55 WNJN another you know local station uh in the area they were running uh, Doctor Who movies I think mm-hmm. yeah yeah and then and yeah. the LIW moved it from Saturday to Sunday and then it wound up being you know a little bit more spread out and and at any night of the week you could get your fill of Doctor Who and and yeah it, it was, when we say it was the glory days it definitely was i mean if you were into the sure. show you definitely had your fill and and it was oh, this was also on the Right around the time that VCRs were becoming more popular, but not everybody exactly. had it. Exactly. So, I, had, I had actually started taping uh, the tail end of Tom Baker's uh, – actually started with uh, the Colin Baker – not Colin Baker. Oh, why am I saying Colin Baker? Um, John Nathan Turner's run mm-hmm. on uh, – as producer. I started uh, videotaping them on, on a VCR my father had bought. Yeah. Did you record them from UHF? Yes. I did the same thing and Lewis used to make fun of me. Yeah. He, he had cable before me. Uh, <laughs> you know what I regret, though, because, uh, you know, as then the, the DVDs and the VHS tapes would come out and I would purchase them, I would toss the tapes. And I was like, what an idiot am I? Because, you know, I know that the tapes are never going to last. But the fact was, was that you had sometimes those little uh, inserts yes. or or, or before, uh, 31 had actually started doing some original promos where they were, were doing their own promos for Doctor Who, you know, episodes. I, I remember the, the Patrick Trout ones pretty fondly when, mm-hmm. they, when they were running those. And NJN had some nice – a nice collection of little bumpers and things they put together. New Jersey Network, and, yeah. yeah. and all those, all those are lost, you know, yeah. uh, if you didn't send and those I, and I'm a fan, And I'm a fan of, of, you know, little bumpers and trailers. I, I you know, I, I love that kind of stuff. I got a kick out of the German one they did for Eccleston. You know, mm-hmm. I don't understand a word he's saying, but, you know. <laughs> so, well, you know, it's – it, it's it's interesting too when when you you think of it like well we didn't save any of this stuff with with the uh, the UHF d- days but uh, 
what now with the the clarity and the and the, the Doctor Who restoration team really making some spectacular DVDs. Oh yeah. Back when we were when and, and as an example, you and I were watching it on UHF. We didn't notice the problem with the sets back then. People were like, yeah, that show's got a really low budget. Not on UHF, it doesn't. <laughs> Not on UHF, no, exactly. And and there was something almost I don't know. It's kind of strange though because like you'll go back to. Um, the Hartnell episodes when when Channel Thirty One started showing those, in particular, I remember thinking, "Why is everybody saying the sets are so cheesy? Look at the arc that that set there of their main control room. That's impressive. I, I don't know. I was I was very impressed with it at the time. Maybe it was because you know I was watching it on a little black and white TV on UHF <laughs> with lots of snow and everything. Yeah, lots of you, snow. Everything. You appreciate a lot a lot of things uh, more greatly when you're when you're seeing it through. A, um, it, it's like putting a a, um, a stocking over your head and watching television that way, you know. <laughs> not that I recommend doing that. But. No, <laughs> not, not that Lewis has done that either. <laughs> Shh, don't tell anyone. It's so interesting hearing you guys talk about this because um, it's so different from you know your typical Brit and how we grew up with it. I mean, we didn't have to put in the effort really to, to be exposed to it. And it's, it's, uh, as long as uh, you paid license. Well, as long as you paid the license fee. We paid our dues in other ways. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's always great when you, when you meet uh, an American Doctor Who fan, I mean any Doctor Who fan, but an American Doctor Who fan, and listening back to their, their stories, because a lot of the time it shows real dedication. I mean, one of the series would encourage someone to go down to Radio Shack and buy, you know, a new aerial just to catch. I, I did that. This one, this one show, just because you've heard the theme tune. I mean, that's yeah. incredible. That's fantastic. Yeah I, yeah, I did the same thing. That's why I related to your story. I went to Radio Shack and bought this. Um, this, I mean, it was a UHF only antenna that was um, like like a big shotgun, so I could exactly. aim it at New Jersey, and meanwhile have another one aimed at W, you know, Long Island here on WIW, so that um, I can get the best of both worlds. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, you know, but I know where I'm going to stray a little bit because we've been like getting going back off to the on book? the tangent of <laughs> <bit> sidetracked, <laughs> yeah, um, as we used to do here on Podcast. Well, well, but... Let's put it this way: you, you know, it, it, you could. St- but at the same time, you're actually establishing my credentials because a lot of people complain, you know, when they when they look at books like this and they go, well, John Drew, he's an American. What does he know about Doctor? Yeah, that's, that's, I, know, I know quite a bit. Thank you. I, I happen to enjoy the series and I appreciate the the, the, the Britishness of it. I, it's part of the reason I, I love it so much. But I think that that is that's completely not fair to say, oh, he's American, therefore whatever he writes is going to be rubbish. I mean, fair enough, Doctor Who is a British institution. But, I mean, come on. You, you only have to, to take testament to the fact that, that that there are so many American Doctor Who fans now. It's doing so well on the Sci-Fi channel. Yes. And, and, and is being exposed. And, and now we've just heard from the news of the world this this rumor from the rumor mill that they're going to be filming a lot of the specials in 2009 in the states and an american companion i've got no problem with that that's fantastic anything to get the exposure to get more fans because as as long as the quality of the show doesn't deteriorate then what's the problem there's no problem with having uh, an american fan distinctly british visiting the United States um, yes, in the way yes. that they did Daleks in Manhattan. It was clearly, you know, the British take on Manhattan. Uh, yes. I just, you don't want it to be um, like 
the Fox movie turned out to be, where it was an American crew. Yeah, it was and, a, it was Americanized. Had no problem with American I mean, actors being involved in it, and and he, even having it shot here, but it needed to have more of a British influence slant, because it's a yeah. British it's a British show. Yeah, right. sure, uh, but but I mean, for me, it's it seems like a no brainer. Obviously, keep it British and keep the crew British, but there's no problem in getting. Uh, American actors involved, American writers involved. As long as everybody is 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 um, sensitive to the show's origin. I mean, likewise, you've got a lot of fans in in Australia and New Zealand. I think it would be fantastic to go to over there and do Absolutely. and do a story and get. Um, and I think that that that, that would um, really get the Australians on or the people down under really excited in, about the it's show. And and why not? It's an interesting it's an interesting uh, um, situation in that it, Doctor Who fans or and perhaps British fans, if the, the criticism is, well, you're an American writer writing for Doctor Who. I don't think any Star Trek fan would complain no, I mean, if a British writer wrote for Star Trek. And, and, and there there have been a few. Yeah, there yeah there's been, been a few. Yeah. And if you look if you look at um, the Next Generation, half of their cast was British. <laughs> the actors, anyway. So, right. Uh, and John Barrowman, okay, originally he's Scottish, but but he's he's spent a lot of time in America, and you know he's he's been a fantastic actor to the series. There's there's no, I I don't see the. I think that but people because obviously it's just got such a a huge following both in the states and in Britain. Um, you know that people are very sensitive to this, but I well, think that more than anything else, the American fans will be more um, upset if it was Americanized than the Brits. I think oh, that sure. you guys would be up you, in you'd arms. Lose, if you'd, it you'd lose the audience, I think. Mm -hmm. I think you yeah. would lose the audience there well, because that, that uh, to me, that's why I, I do enjoy it so much is, is, is that it is British. Yes, that was a key yes. ingredient, yes. Yeah, and, and, it's, and, it's the, and this experiment's been tried before uh, under John Nathan Turner by, by having uh, the character of Perry and, and, and then even yes. going so far as to shoot the 96 movie, um, well, they shot it in Vancouver, but, you know, they, they, Ameri they, they North Americanized it. How about that? We'll, we'll leave it yeah, like yeah. that. Um, which is, again, is fine. That the, the, sentiment, the sentiment of doing it was noble and that, hey, it's, it's big in the States too. That's fine. Um, but the thing that attracts fans and the four of us here will all, well, three of us, the three Americans on, <laughs> on, this, on this interview, uh, we'll all agree that it's the Britishness that, that mm. attracts us to the show. Sure. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. And uh, I think, you know, now they're talking about making a movie, which... Um, no, they're think, always talking about making a movie. Yeah, They've they are. about making a movie since Peter Cushing did finish the, did did the movie. movie. <laughs> this is the difference is, is that this is the first time that they've led, well, they've had uh, the, the producer of the show say, yes, I'd love to do it, as long as it doesn't interfere with the main show. Um, to my mind, certainly Russell T. Davis was like, no, from the beginning, was we're not going to do that. That's silly. There's no point. Um I'm I'm excited about them doing a movie because it will it will get uh, a, a larger fan base. But mm -hmm. he's quite right. As long as the show doesn't suffer, then as long as it doesn't interfere with with the main series, well, and just yeah. do it as an, as an experiment. They've got nothing to be, lose. I would be curious to to crunch some numbers on the theory because to me this is a theory that by doing a movie you gain a larger fan base. Firefly tried it with Serenity, Star yeah. Trek, X Files. They all moved into the movies, and the and the X Files fans and the 
Firefly fans and, and the Star Trek fans marched in and the rest of the world said, so what? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's true. But I mean, um, with, 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 with Firefly, certainly I got into Firefly because of Serenity. I wasn't really aware of, 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 of Firefly before I had seen Serenity. Um, perhaps the X-Files is, is a bit of a, a bad example. But I mean, take Star Wars, for instance. They've kind of done it the other way around. They did the movies first and now they're doing the TV series. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think the problem with Doctor Who is that it is, it's quite a, an intense and complex storyline to fit into a 90-minute or a two-hour movie. And that was the problem with the... the the McGann movie, is that they tried to introduce too much, which is why I think it was a huge hit over here in Britain, because everybody got it. Everybody understood the whole premise of the show, because everybody was a Doctor Who fan or had grown up with it. They knew what the TARDIS was, they knew who the Doctor was. No explanation necessary. You know, whereas um, for the Americans, I imagine, and certainly uh, it's been the case with, with a lot of my um, foreign friends who've, who've, who've seen the TV movie and not knowing anything about Doctor Who, it's confused the hell out of them. And they've been like, what's all this about? They really should have, with the TV movie, just had it on, on Paul McGann, not had the seventh Doctor in it. Maybe if they had a TV series later, then go back and show him into it. But that's my only worry with this, this whole... Um, well, see, well, that, that's the question. Does, does it work? Can, can you do something like that in a two-hour format? Or are you going to have to sacrifice certain elements just to get the movie out there like you did initially with Peter Cushing's movies? I mean, where he just becomes a dotty old inventor. Yeah. Well, as long as they don't change the the ideals of the show and keep it true to the original and just do it as an experiment. You know, there's nothing. It would probably be best served if they just did it as if it was an episode on the sci-fi channel just on the big screen and let people figure it out and it either go or don't go. Yeah, and, but and just uh, simply it, put it out there and don't try to explain it, make it let it be David Tennant, let it be the current set, the current TARDIS, the current music, the current crew and but just put it out there. And that's a, that's what the X-Files did was use their their regular you know guys, the regular people uh, and just made a big screen adventure out of it. But I, I, I want to bring back to John, though, because he's been here with us. <laughs> yeah, we've again thing. got sidetracked. Really no, right. no, it's this, interesting. It's, it's been really good. Of the Eighth Doctor, though, brings me back to your story. In your, you wrote for the Eighth Doctor. How do you, how do you tune in on the essence of what Paul McGann's Doctor is, being that there's such a limited screen time? available or did you tune into the big finish works i was definitely the big finish audio works that helped more in in this than than the movie itself um i mean they've really done a great job with uh producing the series i i i will admit i wasn't a huge fan of the whole alternate universe line when they were doing that but um especially the early works when when it was just first uh, the eighth doctor and charlie who was 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 a great companion for him uh that that really helped a lot uh, chimes of midnight for example one of my mm-hmm. favorite stories out mm-hmm. of them all so that you, that i'm sorry is um is there a possibility or is it in your mind uh from writing 
for short trips and, and possibly editing the next one or co-editing the next one to write uh, a, a straightforward audio drama. I know you have audio in your, you know, an audio drama writing in your past. Yes, uh, but not for Doctor Who yet. Is that something no. that uh, that it's might be on the horizon? It's something mm-hmm. that I would love to do. It's just a matter of making a connection with with the uh, producers and such, and and uh, seeing how that goes. And I haven't. Be honest with you, I haven't made the effort yet, and I really need to. I need to get my my ideas together because I do have some. Um, I have, as you say, I've written fan based. I've for um, Everlasting Films and their Doctor Who audio drama uh, group. I did about seven audios for them, but also professionally, I've produced um, some some original audio drama productions. One myself called The Dome and uh, a couple of others, Meltdown and Star Traders. So, I mean, yeah, I, I definitely am uh, quite, ade- or, well, familiar. I'll, I'll be modest and say familiar with the, with the uh, audio um, process and writing for it and such. Uh, I would love the opportunity. Is there any chance you're going to join us out at Gallifrey in Los Angeles? You know, uh, it's, Gallifrey it's 20. I, I tell you, because every year I keep saying I'll do it this year, and then I always put it off for one reason or another. But this is the twentieth, and I think I would love to be out there for that. Oh, that, great! That would be great because Lewis and I and James, right, James? <laughs> James, James is coming. I hope oh, well, so. James, James oh, is going. Oh, you're uh, don't say the kid. See. Because James, if you you're see, there, I'm- but every year I, I'm the same, John. Every year I'm like, <laughs> I'm going. There's nothing going to stop me. And then there's always something that just, um, you know, crashes into my lap. Some some stupid, silly reason and and why I can't go. And I, I, I believe me, guys. Every year I want to go. But John, you're right. It's the twentieth. We yeah. I have to be there. I have to be there. Come hell or high water. Well, we're so, going to do everything in our power to peer pressure you into going. Now we're going to be getting like, like John and any guests that join us are just going to be like, well, why aren't you going, James? Yeah, but I think that the, 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 the fans are, are bad enough with that anyway. I'm sure that they'll probably, after hearing this, create a, a thread on the forum you know, if it's not get, peer so. pressure that will do it, then beer pressure will have to. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. If I know that, if I know that there's going to be, um, what, how did you describe it off air, uh, Ken? <laughs> a a, a gathering, meet and greets. Oh, a meet and greet. Yeah. So that's basically, a, that's just our go friend Billy's pub. idea. Meet and greets. Yes. We're going to meet and greet in the bar. Meet the inebriated hosts of Podshock. Um, there you go. And then if John goes, of course, he'll he'll know that you meet up at Champions. We'll have an appointed time, and then we'll meet and greet with John, and we'll throw back whatever whatever beverage strikes his fancy. Ah, it's a, an opportunity to do the um, Podshock drinking game <laughs> in, in person, real time. in real time, in, in person. Um, and I think that 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 uh, they probably won't let me back on the plane to the UK. I will be leathered. <laughs> you, 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 you could be is, put on a no-fly list. <laughs> yes, uh, exactly. There's no better way of Doctor Who fans networking than through the <laughs> mutual uh, enjoyment of a uh, uh, of a beverage of an adult nature. Well, I have to, I have to say that this past weekend an old friend of mine came to visit me. Um he's probably listening. He knows who he is. Um but he he hadn't seen a lot of the newer Doctor Who's for some reason. I I don't know why. He's he's a big fan of the older the classic series as they're now calling it. So we sat down and we had a Doctor Who marathon and we watched all of the first 3 series accompanied with beer. And my god, that was such a good idea. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, we'll have to. I, 
if I do go, and I'm 90% sure that I will go, and I, uh, I only, the 10% is only there in case something really rubbish oh, happens. Okay. But I, I want to be there, and I'm going to try everything I can to be there. So, John, you better be there too, mate. <laughs> well, let's see now. Okay. Now, the, now I've dispersed the I'm, pressure there. Okay, I okay, there you go. I have a chance of meeting John at the convention. So, I, I, see, he's already said oh, yes. Oh, I come on. Go. See, so that's I'll one thing I, I meet you, John, not James. <laughs> that's one thing I, 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 I will agree with you that, that, uh, you know, the, uh, imbibing of, of liquids in a, in a uh, comfortable setting is, is quite a, uh, an enticement there. And, and, yeah. and, you know, it's the one thing I do admit to being extremely jealous of among like many of the big finish authors and, and those who work at big finish is I'll read their blogs and they're like, Oh, we're all getting together at this pub and we're going to have a few drinks. And I'm just like, son of a gun. I, I wish I lived in England. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. see, we need a real life TARDIS. That would just solve everything. <laughs> <laughs> if it didn't just travel in, 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 in time, but yeah, just in space. It, exactly. And even if it wasn't, you know, the time factor was not working. If it just traveled in space, I would be a happy camper. Yeah. <laughs> We all it certainly would save on expensive uh, flights. Then I definitely yeah going there. through airport security and all that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And well, John, do you have any upcoming convention appearances? I know you. I think you were at Shore Leave. Was that I was at Shore Leave a couple of uh, weeks ago, uh, back in July. Um, I, I had been uh, planning to go to uh, uh, JumpCon. But uh, that no, didn't we were work all out. planning on going to JumpCon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I you know, my I, whole summer plan for the rest of the year, actually. <laughs> um, I'm actually uh, uh, no conventions at the moment. The only thing I'm doing is uh, I'm going to be doing a signing at a uh, comic book store at the end of August. It's the last not August, October, uh, the last Sunday of October. I believe that's the 26th. Uh, at the Phoenix of Westchester. It's a, a comic book store in Scarsdale. They're doing a little uh, uh, comic show of their own in store. They're getting some local uh, comic book publishers and some writers and such. And myself and Keith are going to be there uh, signing copies of um, short trips there. Oh, cool. That's fantastic. Maybe we'll have to yeah. take a little ride up there. That's not too far from us. And, oh, yeah. okay. Mm-hmm. I've checked. The, the it is definitely the 26th, mm-hmm. uh, the last Sunday in October. James. It yeah. is the last. Okay, thank you. <laughs> so and the book That's is awesome. available now people can pick it up it's um mm-hmm. oh yes definitely um you can get it through uh best way actually the best way is through the big finish website i mean to be honest with you if you want you know something fast and direct because you know you go to amazon I, I was just on there actually uh you know uh earlier today and and they're like you know as soon as we get more in and it's like well you know i'm sorry well, why don't you have enough i don't know <laughs> but, but it's amazon you know, come on <laughs> you know and and uh, to me, I, you know, I look at the prices, it's, it's just as comparable. So why not just get it directly from Big Finish themselves? You, uh, and, you know, they get it to you fast and, and easy. And it, the website redesign in, in, uh, in ordering products, now I've been downloading um, the audios from them instead of getting the uh, CDs, has been fantastic. I haven't had any problems with it at all. So mm-hmm. yeah, I've definitely, as well so for it as well. So. Right. For, your, uh, so, yeah. for your signing in Scarsdale, do you have to buy the book at the store? Um, well, they're yeah. not going to be. No, actually, they they they're being really good about it. They're letting us bring the book, and we're we're. I mean, you can either bring your own copy, or we will have copies to sell ourselves. Okay. They're they're really being they're really being cool about it. So, and if you want to bring anything else, that was one thing I was I was shocked about when I was at Shore Leave. They had uh, uh, a Meet the Pros uh, signing 
at uh, uh, the Friday night, and you know, we were, there was just this long line of you know Star Trek authors because I've also written for the Star Trek line. Mm-hmm. I did a novella for the the uh, Starfleet Corps of Engineers series. And, you know, people were coming up with that. People were coming up with short trips because Keith had bought a whole bunch of books and was, was selling them at the convention. Um, some couple of people came up with uh, the history of Christmas, which was nice. And then this one woman comes up and she's holding Missing Pieces, the, the uh, uh, Sean Lyons uh, mm-hmm. charity. Uh, mm. thing. And I was like, I was like, wow, you because I had a piece in there. I had a first doctor story in there. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, that was that was a big surprise to see that she had carried this thing with her to to a convention, uh, <laughs> you know, to to have me sign and and to uh, to have Keith sign because he he had also had a story in there as well. Mm. That was that was a huge thrill. So yeah, I mean, I'll sign anything that that uh, <laughs> okay, if, you, cool. if you you know, provided so as I wrote, long as I know provided you'll have I wrote it. You know, provided I wrote, if you want, if you want, to bring like one of Jim's or 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 Alan uh, Gibson's stories or something, I'll, I'll I'll forge their name for you if you want. Yeah. Well, John, it's been fantastic yes. having you on. Uh, you do have a website if you'd like to. Uh, actually, Lewis will probably have the the link in the enhanced podcast. But for those sure. who are listening on the MP3 feed, could you give us a uh, you give yourself a quick plug on uh, where they can find information about some of the stuff you're doing okay well uh, there's actually two good websites you can get to there's my main one my uh which is uh www.drewshi d-r-e-w-i-s-h dot uh, did i just do it i just did it drewish i did it wrong oh my god because a lot of people look at it first and they pronounce it drewish it's drewshi d-r-e-w um s-h-i i had to think myself there god dot com or you can also find me on Live Journal, where I'm also Drushi on Live Journal, and I blog just about every day about my uh, writings and my family and what have you. And mm. um, for you know, I didn't get to you know the Big Finish website. By the way, is uh, bigfinish.co.uk uh, mm-hmm. if you want to order uh, short trips, the quality of leadership, or you know any of the other short trip books. Um, you know, and they're all they're all pre- they're all pretty good, even though I haven't read them all. I'll say that. Mm-hmm. I read quite a few. I've read quite a few, though. I have. So, well, it's it's a great read. It's for if for those that may uh, find themselves maybe intimidated or or don't have enough time to read a, a full length novel. This is, I mean, here you can read them in in smaller bite sized segments. Even though they're more like novellas, like you were saying, it, it's it feels a little bit better when you can accomplish, you know, get to the end, and then when you're ready to tackle the next one, you can and just. Um, read them in order since it does tell a overall overall story. And and the nice thing is also is that it it's because BBC Books isn't doing it at the moment. Um, it continues, and I hate using the term because I don't think it's really fair anymore to call it that. It continues the classic series and introduces the new fans to the classic series. If they're not able to get to the DVDs or what have you, they can they can do it through the literature as well. I'm not too fond of the term classic series anymore. I, I was okay with it at first, but you know once you start, you know you bring in Peter Davison in, it's like you know you, you clearly this is not classic and new yeah. like classic Coke mm-hmm. and new Coke, where the tastes were entirely different. All you, you, you know, it's it's just a continuation. It's all Doctor Who. I don't, you know, I understand them not having Big Finish producing ninth and tenth because those are recent and and you know that I understand. But having that designation classic just it, I think it cuts it off from from you know to some people. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's all Doctor Who and it's all good. 
Well, thank you once again, John. Really appreciative of you have you know taking the time out and coming on our show. Sure. And anytime you want to come back, the the door's always open for you. So thank you once Any, again. Anytime you have me, I, I lurk sometimes and 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 just listen when you guys are recording on Sunday. So, um, <laughs> but maybe maybe I'll start poking my head in and saying uh, <laughs> about yeah. that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we make our various flubs, no doubt, or or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks again, guys. I really do appreciate this. This was a lot of fun. And yeah. hopefully uh, we'll be seeing you out at Gallifrey and we'll, we'll definitely. We all be, uh, will. Hope. We will I'll have t- a meet and greet of our own. How about that? <laughs> uh, James, I'll, I'll buy you a drink if you're there. Okay. Oh, I'll, buy you, I'll, buy you, I'll buy you two drinks. <laughs> wow. We're all going to be buying James a drink. <laughs> he won't remember Gallifrey 20. I probably won't. Let's let's not start this off as some kind of auction or whatever. It'll get out of hand. Uh, oh well, that could be interesting. Yeah, yeah. Let's well, again, not go. John, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we'll be right guys. back right here on Doctor Who Podcast. Live from the Gallifreyan Embassy, it's Doctor Who Podshot. It's astounding. Time is fleeting. Madness takes its toll. But listen closely. Not for very much longer. Generations going on. I've got to keep control. going on about the time wars you know the eighth and somehow the time war somehow caused the region we are at war Podshock Okay, you just heard a promo, one of the mashup promos that was submitted to us. This is from uh, Ron Bachner, also known as Tartasaurus, sent in that promo. We still have more promos to to play, so in each um, upcoming um, episode of Doctor Who Podshock, we'll be playing those and some really creative ones. And I really, I mean, I've said it before, but I really have to thank everyone that participated in this. And we got a lot of submissions in, a lot of promos, uh, a lot of fun. And um, maybe we'll do it again sometime. It was um, it was really interesting. And um, again, we, we're still <laughs> we're still playing them all, um, you know, in each Doctor Who Podshock episode. So um, there's more to come. So you've heard um, something old, so you heard something new. Now, for something borrowed. And what we're doing, we're borrowing the mighty Q-Dog from the Cool Shite on the Tube podcast. Yes, you've heard the promo earlier in this podcast for their fine podcast, Cool Shite on the Tube. I urge you to check it out. They do, uh, they cover popular movies and, um, television and, um, just, uh, it's a, it's a good show. It's, it's kind of hard to kind of describe and sum it up in a few words. The promo does a good, better job at it than, than what I'm doing right now. So, uh, but tune in and check it out. It's a lot of fun. And, um, Q-Dog was kind enough to, um, to, uh, submit a review of Torchwood for us. So we're going to do some Torchwooding here 
And um, so without any further delay, this is um, Q-Dog. Torchwood. Outside the government, beyond the police. Fighting for the future on behalf of the human race. The 21st century is when everything changes. And Torchwood is ready. Hi guys, this is Q-Dog from Cool Shot on the Tube, one of your fellow podcasters. Just doing a quick audio review of the audio special Lost Souls, the Torchwood audio special, which was uh, broadcast on BBC4, or Radio 4, sorry, on the 11th of September. Now, it's a 45-minute episode directed by Joseph Lidster, starring John Barrowman, Evie Miles, Gareth David Lloyd and Freema Aguiman. The story is set in CERN, the home of the Large Hadron Collider, which is funny because, of course, on the 11th of September, they were testing the Large Hadron Collider, so it was a really nice piece of uh, timely story development and writing there. Um, as This week, it'll attempt what is described as the most powerful physics experiment in history. And the Radio 4 website features an article on the use of CERN if you want to know uh, a bit about it. But this is a Torchwood episode. Now, as I say, it was played on Radio 4 and is available on the Radio 4 website and will also be available for one week via the Listen Again feature. Torchwood, go to Geneva where Martha Jones, the ex-time traveller, is now working as a doctor for the Unit Task Force, um, now which is at the world's biggest physics laboratory, which is CERN, C-E-R-N, which is actually an existing thing. It does uh, exist in Geneva. Deep in an underground tunnel, a giant particle accelerator is about to be activated for the first time. Now, that particle accelerator is actually 17 miles long and goes over four countries. Um, Now, this, of course, based in fact, the particle accelerator was being turned on for the first time on September 11th. But in this Torchwood story, something weird is happening. Scientists are hearing voices and um, are being struck down by some weird illness. Oh, and... Don't come in all guns blazing, yeah? Me bringing in Torchwood isn't going to make my bosses happy, but I need a fresh pair of eyes looking over things. And... Damn it. Someone's coming. I've got to go. Martha? <laughs> Where's the weevil? It's, uh... It went into the bay. Oh. Can weevils swim? Apparently not. Anyone for coffee? Right, coffee. Good idea. Then Torchwood's going to Switzerland. Now, plot-wise, I think I love the fact that this was released at exactly the same time. In fact, it was almost um, within an hour or two of the um, Hadron Collider being turned on. I think it's a very clever idea, which worked really well and would have been equally uh, good on the telly screen. Of course, uh, a little bit difficult to time it. Also, a little bit tricky to make on the budget of the TV show. So this audio medium really is perfect. Um... Something that I would have perhaps liked uh, would have been if they'd played on more of the fear that came with the Hadron Collider, because as soon as people found out about the Hadron Collider, everyone was terrified that they were going to create a small singularity or black hole. Now, this concept washed across the world or to anyone that knew that it was happening and scared everybody. However, uh, in this one, the Torchwood special, the monster was a little less terrifying, um, something that fed on, uh, I believe, the neutrons or the protons of people's bodies. But it was very much in keeping with the Torchwood uh, universe or the Hooniverse. It was nice to start in Cardiff doing the usual sort of Torchwood stuff, hunting down weevils, but... 
Also, the really central emotional text here is was the loss of Tosh and Owen, which I think it's a, a bit of a pity that this is an audio-only adventure uh, because people like me who haven't listened to an awful lot of the audio uh, and only have seen the TV stuff may not get to hear this story. And I think the story deals with some really nice points of emotion and dealing with loss. And I think it's a rare return to the more adult concepts that Torchwood promised earlier in its run, especially in its first season. I must admit I do miss the adult language uh, that we started with, but more than that, I really miss the adult writing and the concepts. So it's, it's nice to see a return to form here. This was a very adult dealing with uh, a loss, a, a loss of people who were loved and were important. And also it explored more of one of the concepts of, of Captain Jack, which is the pain of immortality. And here for the first time, we really get to see what happens when Captain Jack deals with people dying around him. I would have been really happy to see this as a a televised episode because those ideas, I'm afraid, maybe won't get dealt with in the actual TV series, especially as next year the Torchwood sounds like it's being uh, condensed and is quite a lot shorter. Here, apart from that, it really is pretty much standard monster of the week kind of Doctor Who stuff, but that dealing with lost subplot really is nicely handled. Um, I'd, I'd actually say that it was well done to the point where I thought this was actually better than quite a few of the televised episodes as far as the character development, especially something like From Out of the Rain, for example, which I think is probably one of the weakest episodes of Torchwood or any Doctor Who sort of thing. We're getting through it. You know how death follows us. Follows me. All the times we try to cheat it, but no one escapes. Just me. Always me. I couldn't save them, Martha. Jack, I'm so... I am so sorry. The best I can do now is take care of Gwen. Nyanto. Don't blame yourself. You can't. What happened to Owen and Tosh? It's not your fault. (laughs) I recruited them. Showed them a different sky, and, and now it... Right. Back to Golden Boy. Let's see if we can find out what's happening to him. Cast-wise, absolutely fantastic. John Merriman, um, very, very strong. Still manages to (laughs) light up the screen, even when there isn't a screen. Um, You could see that he was enjoying himself and really just going at it with great gusto. Very funny, but at the same time a lot of uh, really nice character stuff. Eve Miles, or is it Evie or Evie? I don't, or Eve, I'm not sure. Solid as ever as Gwen. Um, I know a lot of people don't like Gwen um, as a character, but I do. And I thought she did very, very well with this. Um, she also managed to get some nice moments of humour in there. Essentially, her on a bike um, is, is lovely. Gareth David Lloyd does nicely as Yanto. Uh, very solid performances, and the switch to audio seems to do them no damage at all. I'm not too sure if that means they act like they're doing audio on the TV screen or that they just are good enough actors to get by without the visuals. I'm not too sure. The only thing I'd say here, Freema Agumann, not particularly strong. I'd say she's probably the weakest part of the episode for me, the one weak link. But then again, I'd probably say she's been doing that for a while. 
She doesn't seem particularly comfortable in audio land, but she's also just a bit wooden on a semi-regular basis. And once again, it seems that that writers struggle to write her into plots. She's left to do not particularly interesting stuff. Meanwhile, Gwen and Ianta are off doing their stuff and having a, a good, solid part of the story. I really felt that Freeman was kind of just left hanging there, which I'm hoping that they can do more with her in the series next year, especially perhaps if she's got more to do with Mickey. Um, the supporting cast, not bad, but a little bit forgettable. I think one of the problems I had with this was when the uh, bad guy was revealed, um, I didn't actually remember who he was. Uh, It was sort of said, oh, such and such, what are you doing? And I had to think, um, who, who's that? I'm not too sure. So uh, that's not necessarily a sterling example of good writing there maybe a little bit more effort gone into the supporting characters wouldn't have hurt. The audio here was what really blew me away, however. It never ceases to amaze me how well an audio drama can set a scene and give a really strong mental image that in many cases is enough to genuinely put me on edge. Now, riding bikes around the central ring of of the Hadron Collider in a long, dark, cold tunnel has never sounded so real. Um... I totally bought the idea that Yanto and Gwen were riding through these incredibly long tunnels. The audio production works so well to set up the locations, the spaces, the kind of weather, and they give you all that you need in your mind to complete these mental images to make this show work in your head. The sound effects are incredibly well made um, and just mixed just spot on so that they don't feel like, oh, I'm listening to a sound effect of a door or I'm listening to a sound effect of uh, the lift going down, but these people are just in those spaces. They feel torchwoody, you know, there's, there's nothing too sci-fi. It is, it's just earthly enough, but at the same time it has the right feel. Perhaps my only real issue would be the monster. Um, and I'm going to say it must be very tricky to make a monster or energy force or whatever it is sound unearthly or alien without making it sound like it's just a bad special effect that's been put over the voices i will say however that the performances here of those voices were quite good so i don't know it's it's just a thing that when you hear a voice that has had an effect put on it you can tell that's exactly what it is when there's an alien on screen however maybe you buy into the fact that you're seeing something more than just hearing the sound effect. So I think that's perhaps one of the drawbacks of the audio medium. So, you're the dead then. Not an alien creature. I was always alien to you, coffee boy. You told me I was a good doctor. Oh, is that you? I will say that this really isn't art form that I want to enjoy more of, though, the audio dramas. the car- Using the actual cast, the complete cast of the show, makes it feel really complete and believable, like it is, it's just another episode of Torchwood. This one just doesn't happen to have things on screen in front of you. 
I also really like things that, uh, like footsteps, just the kind of stuff that would normally be foley sound, weren't overdone or mixed too hot into the mix. You know, they weren't overly loud. So it's not like they're trying to tell you, oh, we're walking here. It's just that the characters, you get a distinct feeling they're walking. Um, one thing that I really caught my, uh, I'd say caught my eye, but caught my ear, was simple stuff like uh, Gwen and Yanto are chasing a weevil in the distance, quite a long way away from J- where Jack is talking on the phone to Freema, uh, to uh, whatever her name is, Martha. Um, it's mixed so well, and the effects are not so well, that you, I fully believe that they were running around the docklands in Cardiff somewhere whilst Jack is in the phone, uh, Jack is on the phone, sorry, in the foreground. I could see the shot in my head, which I think is just magnificent. The music was just brilliant. Now, I must admit, I'm not a huge fan of the music for Torchwood. Um, I think that sometimes it's really overdone. But the thing that I liked about this was that it was scored just like a normal show, using all the same style of music. It was very emotive and very powerful. But the thing that got me was that it was smooth. They'd spent time on this. And once again, it was just like listening to a TV show. Cutting between scenes, we had the usual little torchwood uh, stabs, if you will. And that just, once again, totally made me buy into the fact that I was listening to a Torchwood TV show. Uh, the times they were creepy, and certainly they were really good for building attention when it was required, but at the same time, it was just really good incidental music. I think that's what made me the most impressed by the show, um, is that I'd put money on them having actually had a composer work with them to use the best pieces of music to under underline the scenes. It's subtle, but on top of that, it really is very cool. Bikes! It's that in the information pack. This is how the workers get around down here. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, let's give it a go. Mm. Mm. Well, I don't feel stupid at all. So, look, overall, I thought... It was a thoroughly enjoyable experience, and I wish there were a lot more like it. I've listened to a few of the uh, other audios that are out there, some of the big Finnish ones. Um, I don't know. I find them just a little lost. Uh, they're a little bit empty, and like they're because they've never had the sets, or perhaps in some cases because we've never met those characters, we've never seen some of the companions that are walking around with these various doctors in the Big Finish audios, I feel a little lost when I'm listening to them. I don't know what they look like. I don't know where they are. And so they feel a little fluffy, whereas this one felt very solid, very grounded in reality, and also very timely because it came out at exactly the right time. It feels like something special, and I'd I'd really like to hear more Torchwood in this format. I think it works really well. I'll be very interested to see how they go next year, including Freema and Mickey into the Torchwood universe. Um... (laughs) I don't know whether they'd work as far as the audio, but certainly they're interesting characters which may be used to round out the Torchwood cast. (sighs) The Hadron Collider. um, I think that was just a great little thing. The first time in a long time that we have produced something grandly scientific as a race 
And it's, I think it's great that the BBC has kind of jumped onto that and gone, there's a story that we can tell. Um, I think that is really great. The only thing I wish, as I think I stated earlier, I'd love to have had Jack and the co from um, Torchwood saving us from a tiny little black hole, um, you know, using some kind of cool stuff to to save the entire Earth from a singularity. Because, hell, that's what we're all scared of. I remember talking to some of the other guys from Coolshite at the exact time that uh, the Hadron Collider was being turned on and in a brief moment from Red Dwarf we were waiting for a page to load and it was, uh, and we are going to uh, live. Ah, excellent. So I think that would have been nice if perhaps in my mind we could have imagined uh, Captain Jack and the, and the kids uh, saving us uh, from some black hole, but, uh, you know, this is all wishful thinking. Maybe not a proton-eating monster or a neutron-eating monster or whatever it was. Great idea, but I would have liked to have seen something else. That would have been cool. Well, this was Q-Dog from Cool Shot on the Tube, uh, just doing a quick audio review of Lost Souls, the Torchwood special that was aired on BBC4. Hope you've enjoyed the review, and feel free to email me at qdog at coolshot.net if you've got any feedback. Thanks, guys, and back over to you with Podshock. Thank you, Q-Dog. That is a most excellent review, and we'll be borrowing that once more for another podcast, a new podcast that's in the works that will be covering all British science fiction. We'll have more details about that as they come about. So stay tuned for that. Okay, so, well, we had something old, we had something new, we had something borrowed, and now for something blue. That was um <laughs> that was kind of obvious, wasn't it? Kind of obvious and um you know and I guess cheap. I'm sorry. Well, you know what? We're it's it, it's been a jam-packed show as it is, and it's running long enough, and um so a little tortoise um you know <laughs> will do you fine for something blue. On behalf of myself, Ken Deep, James Norton, the whole Doctor Who Pod Shock crew. Uh, we want to thank you for listening. I also thank everyone that uh, was involved in this episode, everyone, um, the, the good folks at Icon, and um, obviously uh, John S. Drew, and uh, Q-Dog, all great contributions that made the show as good as it is. So uh, thank you all, and we want to hear from you. We are always interested in your feedback, so please send us your feedback, and that could be in an audio submission. Uh, it doesn't have to be, but it's, it, it is an audio podcast, so uh, it is something that we do prefer. Uh, you could send it to feedback at podshock.net and we'll be much appreciative of that. So um, until next time, I'm going to bid you adieu. And um, again, on behalf of James and Ken, thank you for listening. Be sure to visit us at thegallifreyanembassy.org or podshock.net. 
if that's easier to remember. Both addresses will bring you to the same website. We have uh, forums there. We have a wonderful community there. It's a great way to uh, interact with Podshock listeners and uh, fellow ambassadors and myself, Ken and James, uh, in between episodes. So uh, that, once again, that's the thegallifreyanembassy.org or podshock.net. And you can also follow me uh, all the time via Twitter. And um, you can do that by going to twitter.com slash Lewis Trapani and follow me. Okay, well, thank you once again. Cheers. been listening to Doctor Who Podshock by the fan run GallifreyanEmbassy.org and presented by Outpost Gallifrey at Gallifrey1.com Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Doctor Who Podshock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Come back next week for another exciting and informative episode of Doctor Who Podshock You can email us at feedback at podshock.net Opening theme by Jeff Smith at thejeffsmith.com. This episode is sponsored by the New England Fan Experience. Be sure to attend the New England's Ultimate Fan Experience at the Hyatt Regency in Cambridge, Massachusetts on November 21st, 22nd, and 23rd. Visit www.nefe.us for details. This Art Trot production was brought to you by the Gallifreyan Embassy and has been made possible in part by donations from listeners like you. The small universe, isn't it?